the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Six minutes after six. It's a Tuesday. I don't know about you, but uh, I got woke up uh, in the middle of the night. Thunder, lightning, uh, lots of rain pouring down, and uh, my dog went nuts. I don't. I'm trying to think. Elizabeth, you're here. You don't have a dog. You've got cats, right? <laughs> the cats don't like it any more than the dogs do. They go hide under the bed when it thunders. <laughs> yeah, well, at least they hide under the bed. They don't want to be inside the bed, the bed. <laughs> and shaking so hard that you can feel it. Aww. I feel like, a, well, it makes me feel like I got magic fingers or something uh, on my bed. And and I don't have Poor a small baby. mattress. I've got I've got a Hollywood uh, King. You know, I get the biggest mattress basically you can get so that uh, Linda can move around in the, in the night. She does not stay still while she's sleeping and. Um, that was the only way that we we were going to be able to share the same bed together. So yeah, it was a uh, it, it was uh, interesting last night, and I'm a little bit foggy early on during the show because um, I don't do well when somebody wakes me up in the middle of the night, and then um, you know I I try to try to get focused so I know what's going on, and then by the time I get focused, everything is over. I mean, it's not like the the rain lasted a long time. Now, did it pour? Yes, it poured. Monsoonal rains last night, you know, gopher wood types of rains. But then it moved through. It was good. All right, so today is going to be a good day. They're saying we're going to have sunny skies today. Uh, it was supposed to have been just about 72, 73 yesterday. and got up where we were at to 82 here in Cabot. So I'm, I'm hoping that it's going to still be... Uh, nice and and warm today so i'm excited about that but what's got me really excited is everybody knows that i got to go in and do this hyperbaric chamber stuff every day for two hours and that starts at noon or thereabouts right around that time and goes till about uh, or past two o'clock and um, they've got tv so you can watch through the the glass as you're laying in the chamber today uh, espn is going to start uh, carrying uh, Korean baseball, their season starts, so I'll be I'll be able to watch some baseball, and, and uh, you know it's it's professional level baseball, so that's good stuff. Okay, so Do you that's usually the, watch Korean baseball. No, I don't. Today? I usually right now I'm usually watching Major League Baseball here in the United States, but you know they're still sucking their thumb and lying in a fetal position somewhere. So uh, when they get decide they're going to play. Uh, and, 
You know, I don't understand the big argument they're having about, well, you know, we want to we want to play without fans there. Okay, now I understand that. You don't want 40,000 people packed into a stadium uh, with this virus still out there and there being no vaccine or they don't have enough, uh, you know, viral agents to fight against it. But this whole argument about, well, let's just put it on TV. Well, that to me, that's the way to do it. That's the way I watch baseball anyway. I watch it on television, and uh, the networks are paying bukus, and I do mean bukus, amount of money uh, to the uh, uh, Major League Baseball and the teams, and they're able to play, pay their players and all of that. And I'm not saying that losing the revenue that you lose from the stadium and selling hot dogs and all of that isn't a big deal. But it sure seems like to me you could get the season underway without fans being there to watch it and let the fans watch on television. I mean, I got to believe right now all of the major network television stations would love to have some baseball on for the sports starved viewers out there. And they already got, you know, they already got their contracts um, in vogue. So there should they should be able to sit down and put something together so they could get some Major League Baseball on. But it it seems like to me, you correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Elizabeth, that we have moved from flattening the curve that to we want to crush the curve. And by that, I mean we we've gone from. We have to understand that some people are going to die from the coronavirus, but now we don't want anybody to die. And I'm, I'm talking about we don't want anybody to die at all anymore. We want everybody to be, you know, immortal uh, that's out there. And that's just not going to happen. I mean, we just passed up here uh, last week in number of deaths from coronavirus, what we have during the year and people who die in traffic accidents, but they didn't tell everybody you got to park your car and you can't drive it. Yeah. Are you following me? Am I making any sense here or am I, am I comparing apples and oranges? I don't think it's apples and oranges. I do think that <laughs> I think we understood about flattening the curve and I think we did a really, really good job. I think what's missing from the picture is some reflection on what happened since March, when we started in with all of this, when most people were pretty unaware, there's been a humongous amount of education. We've learned a lot. We've changed our approaches on many things. We're coming up with, uh, you know, treatments and we're looking at drugs and vaccines. And and yet it seems as though some people want to take it all the way back to square one and say, oh, my gosh, people are going to die. People are going to die. We have to completely lock everything down. And it's actually getting better You know, it's hard. It's like they told us once before about a different political issue in Arkansas. I won't bring it up by specifics, but it's two bad choices, okay? Either a whole lot of people die or people die. And now we're in the second Here's my keep. People die every day. That's that's, the whole point. And I'm not saying it's it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. But here's my key. How many of the people that they're counting as coronavirus uh, uh, deaths had underlying huge medical problems that already had the person on the edge of death? Okay, and I got a thought on that one because here's the deal. Yeah, they might have been on the edge of death, but how long would they have been around, perhaps, 
if they had not been taken out by COVID. So I see it both ways. I don't know. My big suspicion these days has to do with reporting, and it's not that I don't trust the numbers that we are seeing. I'm just not sure if we're, and it's going to sound funny, if we're measuring the correct things. Yes, we need to know about the number of cases. We need to know the number of hospitalizations. We need to know how many people have died. I want to see it per capita. I don't see a lot of that. What I see is what I call gross numbers. We have this many. Well, but compared to who else? And and what is the severity of that? Just a number by itself without reference tends to do nothing but scare people, in my opinion. Well, and they're doing a pretty good job of it. This report that leaked out now talking about if we reopen the economy, how many, you know, hundreds of thousands of people are going to die and, and whatnot. That's one report out of I'm just telling people to understand something. When I was in the military, I worked in a, in a top secret sector at times that uh, and I saw a lot of information. I was lucky in in the job that I did in the military. My my job was uh, conveying information to the general public and to, um, you know, people who were active duty in the Army, Navy, Marines, uh, you know, all branches of the service. And the, the bottom line was that I saw all kinds of uh, scenarios that they ran past, uh, past us to look at. And uh, you went from... Uh, thousands of dead to millions of dead i'm just telling you uh you gotta know they've they've got a this is a fema report or something they've got to understand that not all reports that you see are quote what i like to call legitimate reports they're scenarios they're they're thinking out loud so to speak uh, what what do we do Absolutely. if this happens, if that happens? And people don't understand that for the most part. They just see, as you said, they see some numbers and then they go absolutely bat guano over it. Well, and I believe, of course, that the media intends to do that. I don't think they're really out there trying to help us understand. I think they're spreading propaganda. <laughs> That's a whole different issue. I, I've like I said, I've become frustrated with, and and the other side of things as well is the same people that were in the early days. What do you mean you're going to shut things down? Are now the same people who are going. You what do you mean you're going to open things up? Shut down. What do you mean you're yeah. going to open it up? And yeah. it's like, come on, people. And I understand one of the most important principles in business when you're putting together a project or anything else is you look at it, you measure it, and you adjust as needed. Our president and the people working on this plan have been so, or the plan, the response, have been so transparent. We're watching them make those decisions in real time. We're watching the information bubble up. They take it. They process it. They run it through these different committees they've got. I don't think people really understand how many people Trump has working. It's not just those few people you see up there on some of these press conferences. He has... I think I saw over a hundred different committees he has put together of various different focus groups for different parts of the economy and different things. And he's running all this information through all of those people. He's getting a huge amount of crowd funding, if you will, and not money, but investment in thought. And it's all happening right in front of our eyes. But the media refuses to accept the conclusions that are being drawn on a daily basis that are actually propelling us in a much better direction. 
they don't want us to get better, you see. You know that. Yeah. All right. Well, on Monday's broadcast of uh, the story on Fox, uh, they were talking to Tom Cotton. And one of the stories that I know you've been following, I've been following, and uh, we've been letting our listeners follow along with us is the story about China and uh, their responsibility in all of this and the World Health Organization. Tom Cotton talked about uh, the World Health Organization and that if it doesn't reform, that uh, what we need to do is uh, we, we need to, uh, you know, create a new organization that's going to be a World Health Organization, not a world politics organization. We've got to get a break in, uh, Elizabeth, and then when we come back, we're just going to go right into that discussion here on the Dave Ellswick Show. So a break and then more coming your way, but let's get your traffic here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. You saw evidence that gave you a high confidence that the virus came from the Wuhan lab. We're going to be Not that it was created there, perhaps, yeah. but that it came from there. At the right Can time, we're going to Can you illuminate be any more about that? Yeah, we're going to be given a very uh, strong report as to exactly what we think happened. And I think it'll be very conclusive. President Trump last night echoing Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who says there's enormous evidence that connects the origins of COVID-19 to the Wuhan lab. The WHO says that if the United States has it, they should let them know. The Associated Press has also obtained a U.S. intelligence report that concludes that Chinese leaders initially concealed the severity of the virus to hoard medical supplies from the rest of the world. But the headline over all of this is a brewing escalation of tension between the United States and China over this whole situation. So where is this headed? Joining me now, Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas, a member of the, of the Intel and Armed Services Committee. Senator, always good to have you with us. Us. Thank you for being here tonight. Uh, I'd like to start by Thanks, playing a soundbite from Dr. Mark, Dr. Mike Ryan, who is the WHO executive director. He was asked about this enormous evidence. Here's what he said. We have not received any data or specific evidence from the U.S. government relating to the purported origin of the virus. So uh, 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 from our perspective, this remains speculative. If that data and evidence is available, then it will be for the United States government to decide whether and when it can be shared. But it's difficult for WHO to operate in an information vacuum. Hmm. How's that going to work out, Senator? Well, they also haven't gotten a lot of information from the Chinese Communist Party either. But, Martha, look, all of the evidence points at one of those two labs in Wuhan where they researched bat-based coronaviruses. We know that Chinese lied about it originating in the food market from uh, at least as far back as January, where they apparently didn't even sell bats of any kind, much less the species of bat from which we believe this virus migrated from yeah. uh, or into humans. Um, but all of the evidence... Although it's circumstantial, to be sure, points at those labs. If mm-hmm. China wants to dispel any kind of suspicion about those labs, which is uh, pre- present all over the world, then they should open up their labs and open up Wuhan and tell us exactly yeah. what happened there and let us review all the safety protocols in place. They are definitely feeling the global heat on this, so that would certainly behoove them to do that. If they want to you know, clear this up in everybody's mind, they should be very forthcoming with what they have. I don't think anybody expects that that's going to happen anytime soon. Um, but there's discussion in the National Security Council in the United States of starting a different sort of global medical organization that is not so beholden to China uh, that would include Taiwan as well, which I would imagine would not sit very well with the Chinese government. Do you think that's what should be done? 
We very well may need to do that, Martha. I've said for weeks now that Dr. Tedros and his team needs to leave the WHO and leave now. But if they don't leave and if the WHO doesn't commit itself to more transparency, more accountability and other reforms, then the United States should lead the world's leading countries from a scientific standpoint to create a new organization that will be a world health organization, not a world politics organization. As you mentioned, Taiwan, which has done one of the very best jobs in controlling the spread of this virus, was precluded from even sharing information in the early days of this pandemic because Beijing demanded that the WHO not cooperate with Taiwan at all, which is a true outrage. So you have pushed back on the, uh, you know, Chinese students who come here to study these Confucius institutes that exist at um, universities across the country. Uh, Last night when we spoke with President Trump, I asked him, you know, do you think this is going to change your relationship with President Xi, you know, the trust issues that are around this? And there was a question that we did not get to that came from a woman who organizes exchange students, and she's from Apple Valley, California. Here's Candice Quiroz. My name is Candice Quiroz. I'm an exchange student coordinator. I have students come from China, from high school age to university age. They come from one week to a whole school year. How will the COVID-19 impact any further exchange student programs? With all of the hate and degrading that the Chinese people are enduring, will the American people please stop blaming the Chinese people for their government's actions? What would you say to Candace, Senator? Well, first, Candace, it's very important that we not blame the Chinese people. The Chinese people are the first and the worst victims of the Chinese Communist Party, both in this pandemic and going back 70 plus years when they've killed tens of millions of their own people. But most exchange programs like the ones that she runs would not be affected by any reforms because it's a good thing to have young Chinese students studying in our high schools, even for just a few weeks, or coming here and being exposed to the American way of life. But what we cannot allow to continue is training Chinese Communist Party affiliated students at the highest levels of graduate and postgraduate education in the most advanced scientific and technological fields. Not only is it ripe for espionage, but it is training our adversaries in the world's most cutting edge technologies, something that we should never do. It's a great point. I want to squeeze in one more with you. The Chinese ministry warned, warned President Xi that there could be potential for armed confrontation even with the United States because of the tensions that they claim are as bad as they were during the Tiananmen Square situation. So they're concerned about how this looks for them on the global stage with this pandemic. You know, how, where do you think this is headed? And what do you think China will do to try to fix that reputation globally? Well, Martha, I saw that report that said that anti-Chinese uh, Communist Party sentiment is at its highest peak around the world, not just in the United States, since the Tiananmen Square massacres. And it should be. China is a pariah state. And it's time for the world to change our relationship with China, because China has not changed its behavior for 30 plus years. Well, we'll see. We see uh, some video from a while back of President Xi with President Trump. Uh, A lot of trade negotiations to be worked out. So we're going to see where this goes. Senator Cotton, thank you. Always good to see you, sir. Thank you, Martha. All right. That's our uh, junior senator, Senator Tom Cotton, and talking yesterday uh, on Fox News and had some very good things to say. And I like what he had to say about the students Uh, that were uh, coming here from China. I agree that some of those students should be able to come, but uh, the students that are coming here 
to uh, be in the uh, you know our universities and are going to be studying quantum physics and uh, very important things that uh, deal uh, with uh, uh, American uh, technology. I think that they should be blocked from that. They're taking that stuff back to the CCP. So with that in mind, you just can't have business as usual the way China's doing business as usual. What do you think, Elizabeth? we got one minute. China has gotten their fingers into so many things that we've done. Again, with us looking the other direction, I am particularly concerned, and you know I've been very alarmed about the Confucius Institutes and this encroachment into all the areas of our world because we are a free country, and they are using every bit of our freedoms against us to come into our country and use our own resources against us with propaganda. We don't need this, and and we're allowing it. We're allowing it. Well, and I agree. When we come back, uh, let's pick this up. We'll talk about it some more. It's just that uh, I believe that uh, we can honestly see uh, about the way that the Chinese uh, Chinese Communist Party is acting, that uh, they have moved us, I believe, into another Cold War like what we had with Russia in the 50s, 60s, and early 70s. News is now. If you've been following this show for any length of time at all, you know that I'm not a big uh, communist lover. I definitely don't like any communist government around there uh, that's anywhere in the world. Uh, I don't like Cuba. I don't like Venezuela. I don't care for Russia. And I don't care, of course, for the Maos over there in in China. Uh, and, and And they, when you look at land mass and people they they uh, control a lot of people and land mass here in the united states and china over the last 15 years has been uh, building their military and all kinds of stuff and uh, whether it's been a republican in the white house or a Democrat in the White House is as if people are uh, sitting there and, and just kind of shrugging their shoulders and go, oh, so what? I mean, uh, business uh, and, you know, Governor uh, Hutchinson is like this. You know, you got businesses over in China that want to come uh, uh, to uh, work in uh the United States and in Arkansas, and it seems to me that we have to be a lot more diligent about which businesses we're allowing because all the businesses, for that matter, in China are 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 entwined with the the, the Chinese Communist government. We all need to understand that. Uh, There's not a single thing they do that's not dictated by the Chinese Communist Party. I don't know why people don't understand that. Well, some are more so than others, and I and I think that's something that they got to they got to work through. But uh, Secretary of State Pompeo talked about this to the governors uh, a couple of months ago. I, I asked Heidi to look in our archives with that speech that he gave him. I've got it. I want to talk about uh, the Confucius Institutes. You may not know, but uh, the Chinese government has a Confucius Institute on the University of, of Central Arkansas over there in, in Conway. And it is known that these institutes are not there 
to teach Chinese students the wonders of democracy and Republican forms of government. They are there to teach our students why they need to be good commies. Definitely. They need to get their their book of Mao and be ready to march in the streets. See, I remember that stuff. A lot of people don't remember that stuff. I remember all that. Even the Beatles, who were revolutionaries in a a sense at one time, moved away from, uh, you know, embracing uh, what was going on in, in communist Russia and communist China. I mean, that's why, they, you know, they talked about, uh, uh, you know, they wanted to talk about if if you're hanging out with Chairman Mao, I'm not into that anyhow. I mean, that's that's all stuff that you got to understand. They even understood what the communist Chinese were up to. But here's the Secretary of State, uh, again, Pompeo, Uh, Talking to the governors, listen closely to what he says, and then uh, we're going to get a break in the middle of this. If I think that we need to play both segments, we'll play both segments. But uh, and then Elizabeth and I are going to talk about a Bible guys coming up at 706. But right now, here's Secretary Pompeo. Last year, I received an invitation to an event that promised to be, quote, an occasion for exclusive deal making. It said, quote, the opportunities for mutually beneficial economic development between China and our individual states are tremendous. End of quote. Uh, Deal making sounds like it might have come from President Trump, but the invitation was actually from a former governor. I was being invited to the U.S.-China Governors Collaboration Summit. It was an event co-hosted by the National Governors Association and something called the Chinese People's Association for friendship and foreign countries. Sounds pretty harmless. What the invitation did not say is that the group, the group I just mentioned, is the public face of the Chinese Communist Party's official foreign influence agency, United Front Work Department. Now, I was lucky. Uh, I was familiar with that organization from my time as the director of the Central Intelligence Agency, but it got me thinking, how many of you made the link between that group and Chinese Communist Party officials? What if you made a new friend while you were at that event? What if your new friend asked you for introductions to other politically connected and powerful people. What if your new friend offered to invest big money in your state, perhaps in your pension, in industries sensitive to our national security? These aren't hypotheticals. These scenarios are all too true, and they impact American foreign policy significantly. Indeed, last year, a Chinese government-backed think tank in Beijing produced a report that assessed all 50 of America's governors on their attitudes towards China. They labeled each of you friendly, hardline, or ambiguous. I'll let you decide where you think you belong, someone in China already has. Many of you indeed in that report are referenced by name. So here's the lesson. The lesson is that competition with China is not just a federal issue. It's why I wanted to be here today, Governor Hogan. It's happening in your states with consequences for our foreign policy, for the citizens that reside in your state and st- states, and indeed for each of you. And in fact, whether you're viewed by the CCP as friendly or hardline, know that it's working you. Know that it's working the team around you. Competition with China is happening inside of your state, and it affects our capacity to perform America's vital national security functions. I want to set the context today for this topic. At the end of the Cold War, uh, America started to engage with China heavily. It made good sense. We thought that the more we interacted, the more it would become like a liberal democracy, like us here in the United States. It didn't happen, and you all know this. Indeed, under Xi Jinping, the country is moving exactly in the opposite direction. More repression, more unfair competition, more predatory 
economic practices, indeed a more aggressive military posture as well. But you should know, this doesn't mean we can't do business with China. I had an operation when I ran Century International. We had a small office in Shanghai. We can find places to cooperate when our interests converge. You can see that in the first part of the trade deal that President Trump got done, signed last month. We're happy about that. It was the right thing to do. That was indeed a deal that was good for both the United States and China. And these economic ties are powerful. They're important and good. They're good for your state. They're good for America. Look at the nearly 18 tons of medical supplies the United States just flew to China this past week to help fight the coronavirus. Yesterday, we announced more than $100 million in assistance to China and the countries that are affected by that virus. And on that note, too, I want to take just a moment to note I want to send my condolences to the loved ones of the United States citizen who fell victim to the coronavirus in Wuhan over the last days. But while there are places we can cooperate, we can't ignore China's actions and strategic intentions. If we do, we risk the important components of our relationships that benefit both countries. The Chinese government has been methodical in the way it's analyzed our system, our very open system, one that we're deeply proud of. It's assessed our vulnerabilities, and it's decided to exploit our freedoms to gain advantage over us at the federal level, the state level, and the local level. Last year, I announced that I would give a series of speeches on China, and this is part of that. It's it's the context in which uh, state and local government officials ought to think about the way they lead with respect to our relationship. China matters. It's been part of my mission at the State Department to mobilize all parts of the United States government. When I was out in Silicon Valley a couple weeks ago to talk to America's leading tech companies about this very set of issues, and I need your help too. What China does in Topeka and Sacramento reverberates in Washington and Beijing and far beyond. Competition with China is happening. It's happening in your state. In fact, I'd be surprised if most of you in the audience have not been lobbied by the Chinese Communist Party directly. Chinese Communist Party friendship organizations like the one that I referenced earlier are in Richmond, Minneapolis, Portland, Jupiter, Florida, and many other cities around the country. But sometimes China's activities aren't quite that public, and I want to talk about some of that today. Let me read you an excerpt of a letter from a Chinese diplomat. It was China's consul general in New York sent a letter last month to the speaker of one of your state legislatures. Here's what the letter said in part. It said, quote, as we all know, Taiwan is part of China. Avoid engaging in any official contact with Taiwan, including sending congratulatory messages to the electeds, introducing bills and proclamations for the election, sending officials and representatives to attend the inauguration ceremony, and inviting officials in Taiwan to visit the United States. End of quote from the letter. Think about that. You add a diplomat from China assigned here to the United States, a representative of the Chinese Communist Party in the New York City, sending an official letter urging that an American elected official shouldn't exercise his right to freedom of speech. Let that sink in for just a minute. And this isn't a one-off event. It's happening all across the country. Chinese consulates in New York, in Illinois, in Texas, and two in California, bound by the diplomatic responsibilities and rights of the Vienna Convention, are very politically active at the state level, as is the embassy right here in Washington, D.C. Maybe some of you have heard about the time when the Chinese consulate paid the UC San Diego students to protest the Dalai Lama. Or, last August, when a former governor, Phil Bryan of Mississippi, received a letter from a diplomat in the council's office in Houston threatening to cancel a Chinese investment if the governor chose to travel to Taiwan. Phil went anyway. Last year, a high school, a high school, high school in Chicago disinvited a Taiwanese representative to serve on a climate panel after Chinese pressure. You know, it's one thing to pressure the Secretary of State of the United States of America. It seems quite something else to go after a high school principal. It shows depth. It shows systematization. It shows intent. All right. This is the Secretary of State speaking. And if you think that I'm just giving you the new Red Scare, that's not the case. I mean, this is stuff we have got to pay attention to. 
And out at UCA, they got to pay attention to the, the these Confucius Institutes. And we'll talk about all of that in just a moment. we got to get a break in, and then we're going to hear the remaining uh, segment of Pompeo here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, 10 minutes till 7. Uh, Elizabeth is with me. We've been talking about China and uh their complicity in the coronavirus, and then talking about how they've been weaseling their way into our our country, in our states, in our colleges, in our high schools. And uh, State Secretary of State Pompeo gave a speech about this just a couple of uh, months ago. I played it. I played this quite a few times, but it, it it calls for being played again. And then Elizabeth and I will follow up. Uh, with uh, some facts. She's got some facts about the Confucius institutions we want to share with you as well. But right now, let's finish up with the Secretary of State. Chinese Communist Party officials, too, are cultivating relationships with county school board members and local politicians, often through what are known as sister cities programs. Look, this Chinese competition is something you all know. It sits in the back of your mind, but you have many duties and you are busy people. But this competition is well underway. And while these might seem like local matters to some, the cumulative effect is of enormous national importance and international significance. Of course, too, our public educational institutions are another arena of competition with China. I know, governors, you don't run these institutions on a day-to-day basis, but you often have impact on the people that do. The FBI director, and I think the Attorney General, too, talked yesterday about something called the Thousand Talents Plan. It's a plan to recruit scientists and professors to transfer the know-how we have here to China in exchange for enormous paydays. The program's probably targeted campuses in your state. Indeed, the Department of Justice has indicted professors in my home state at the University of Kansas and at Virginia Tech and at Harvard. Texas A&M investigation reported this covered more than 100 academics participated participating in Chinese talent recruitment plans. Only five of them had declared that they were participating in this program. And goodness knows what else we've not discovered. There are indeed very credible reports of Chinese government officials pressuring Chinese students, students studying right here in the United States of America, to mono- monitor fellow Chinese students and to re- report back to Beijing. One very prominent pro-democracy Chinese student on a college campus in the Northeast last year received death threats. Death threats for exercising his right to free speech. The FBI became involved. Make no mistake about it. We want talented young Chinese students to come study in the United States of America. I see it at Wichita State University. These are wonderful young people. We ought to encourage them to be here. But they shouldn't have to fear the long arm of Beijing, which often reaches out via groups like the Chinese Students and Scholars Association. Look, that's just one of many campus groups directly influenced by the Chinese Communist Party and its representatives right here in the United States. Many of you are familiar with Confucius Institutes. Confucius Institutes purport to have the sole purpose of teaching Mandarin language skills and Chinese culture. A bipartisan Senate committee found last year in 2019 that the Chinese Communist Party controls nearly every aspect of the Confucius Institute's activities here in the United States. Over the past few months, the University of Missouri, the University of Kansas, the University of Maryland have independently decided to close down their Confucius Institutes after conducting their own reviews. And schools in 22 other states are doing or have already done the same. Sadly, China's propaganda campaign starts even earlier than college. China has targeted K-12 schools through its Confucius classroom 
programs, the CCP's program to influence kids in elementary, middle, and high schools around the world. Do you know that we have no ability to establish similar programs in China? I'm sure that doesn't surprise you. President Trump's talked about reciprocity in trade. We should have reciprocity in all things. Today, they have free reign in our system, and we're completely shut out from theirs. As of 2017, there were 519 of these classrooms in the United States. Beijing knows that today's kids are tomorrow's leaders. The China competition is happening. It's happening in your states, and it's a competition that goes to the very basic freedoms that every one of us values. And when it comes to doing business, I'm asking you to adopt a cautious mindset. In the words of President Reagan, when you're approached for introduction or a connection to a deal, trust but verify. I know you all have power over pension funds or the people that run them. As of its latest public filing, the Florida retirement system is invested in a company that in turn is invested in surveillance gear that the Chinese Communist Party uses to track more than one million Muslim minorities. California's pension fund, the largest public pension fund in the country, is invested in companies that supply the People's Liberation Army, puts our soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines at risk. And is the case for many Chinese companies too, no Sarbanes-Oxley. Their books are not wide open. So it's difficult to know if the transaction that's being engaged in is transparent and fair and follows the rule of law. Now, all of these things may well be legal, but the question is, do they demonstrate good judgment and preserve America's national security? I want to urge vigilance on the local level too. In the District of Columbia, there have been concerns raised that the new metro cars manufactured by China could be vulnerable to cyber threats. So again, it's worth trusting but verifying there are federal officials prepared to help you work your way through these challenges when they arise. Don't make separate individual deals and agreements with China that undermine our national policy. I know none of you would do so intentionally. Let us help you make sure we're getting it right. We're here to help. The Trump administration wants to help. There are so many things we have already done. Last year, we issued a letter to state governments. It reaffirmed that Taiwan remains a key business partner and a friend in every other way. We've strengthened the review process for Chinese companies that are investing in your states. We've revoked visas for so-called research scholars who abused their privileges by teaching at Confucius classrooms and made sure that they departed the United States. We've banned scientists from the Department of Energy, which oversees America's 17 largest national, excuse me, nuke labs, including our nuclear research facility in New Mexico. We did so because they are participating in Chinese talent recruitment programs. We've directed two Chinese propaganda outlets, the Chinese Global Television Network and Xinhua News Agency, to register as foreign agents. And we at the State Department have started to require Chinese diplomats to apply, comply with the same rules we comply with when we're in China. Chinese diplomats now must notify the State Department in advance of official meetings with state and local officials. They must declare their official visits to U.S. educational and research institutions as well. This is just fairness, reciprocity, basic common sense. Uh, this is not an onerous restriction to put on China. Look, I know it's 2.30 on a Saturday afternoon. There were lots of good things we could do. I hope you will all take on board what I've said today. You all have important missions leading your states. These are complex, difficult jobs. You have the task to create jobs and opportunity in your state for your people and attract human capital investment that undergirds our prosperity. It's a tough job, and you get curveballs every day from all across the place. But don't lose sight of the competition from China that's already present in your state. Let's all rise to the occasion and protect our security, our economy, indeed all that we hold dear, all of those freedoms. It's what leaders must do. It's what we do as Americans. I hope God will please bless each and every one of you, each of your states in the United States of America. Thank you for letting me be with you. All right. That was Secretary of State Pompeo. I think that second part of his speech is very, very chilling, that the communist uh, government, the uh, Chinese communists, are not only working on our college campuses, but they are also working K through 12 in our high schools. And they're doing it by luring, by putting out 
uh, you know, their, their carrot is dollars. That's exactly what it is. It's dollars. A lot of these college professors are getting big stipends from uh, the communists to promote these Confucius Institutes and things of that nature. Now, Elizabeth is with us. we got a couple of minutes here, Elizabeth. Run through some of the, the, the facts that you've found out about Confucius Institutes. Well, in 16 years, they've done a lot. They started in 04. This, you've also heard of the sister cities kind of thing. This is yes, part of yeah, what China's doing to get too. into our culture. That's how they started, you know, kind of, well, how some people became aware that they were getting into our culture. Um, China has spent $158 million supporting Confucius Institutes. That was only up to the last couple of years, so I bet they've spent a lot more than that. China considers this to be its most powerful soft power platform. State Department says so. They also have said just since February they've had, well, the speech with uh, uh, Pompeo was out in early February. By February 24, China had come out and said, not only uh, do we hear you and see you, but uh, we will optimize the spread of Confucius Institutes, and we consider it to be a key piece of our platform. So they are not even trying to hide the fact that they are very involved in using these educational endeavors, uh, a key part of the government policy. We have 70% of the schools in the country who have gotten at least $250,000 from China for these Confucius Institutes. 70% of these schools did not report that income through All the right. Department of Education. Hold that thought. we got to come back. We're going to have the Bible guys and Robin Lundstrom, and then at 35, we'll talk more about this here on the Dave Ellswick Show. enjoyed the Bible guys. It was the best of the Bible guys because uh, they they just, you know, with everything that they're doing as far as uh, uh, doing most of their work from home, uh, they were not able to join us live today. They'll be back next Tuesday, though, I've been told. So we'll look to that. For you who sent me questions, uh, I'll hold on to them. And I had already forwarded, forwarded several of the questions uh, to the guys, so they have them in their possession now, and they'll be ready to ask, answer them uh, next week. Uh, Heidi is working on getting uh, State Representative Robin Lundstrom uh, on uh, our uh, our phone line. We had a little bit of technical difficulties. They're working on that. Elizabeth is back. She's with us, and we've been we spent most of the break uh, during the Bible guys. Uh, talking about some different strategies that I won't get into, but uh, we are 
we're going to work on some stuff that needs to be uh, that needs to be worked on. No doubt about that. About seven minutes after eight right now. I hadn't t- told everybody about the uh, weather yet, so let me give everybody uh, weather from uh, the Dave Ellswick eye view of uh, weather today. Times of clouds and sun. High of seventy seven. Uh, Tomorrow for hump day, mostly sunny and pleasant, 73 degrees. And Thursday, partly sunny, nice, 70. Now, if you're not, if you're following that, you can see the temperatures dropping a little bit. It's going to get a little bit cooler over the weekend. I mean, Saturday's high is just going to be 66, but uh, we'll build up again. Uh, they're talking about by next weekend, we'll be up into the low 80s again. Uh, as far as that's concerned, so just keep that keep that in mind. Currently, looking at our uh, temperatures uh, around the area here in Cabot, 66. That's where I'm located at, sitting in my dining room. Conway is 66. Pine Bluff is 70. Hot Springs 66. Little Rock 68. And up in Fayetteville, where uh, we're being joined by. Uh, State Representative Robin Lundstrom in that area up in northwest Arkansas. You guys are in at a very cool 58 degrees, uh, Representative. Oh, yeah. It's nice and cool up there. We're we're uh, we're starting to smolder down here a little bit. Not well, bad, though. It I'm is about God's it. country. It yeah. is God's country. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I understand. Elizabeth Sotolaro is with me. She's usually with me uh, when we're over for the uh, the sessions. She joins me today by phone as well. Uh, I love technology when it works. Here we are doing the show today. I'm in, I'm in Cabot. Uh, you know, Elizabeth's in Conway. Heidi is in Little Rock running the show, and up in northwest Arkansas is our state representative, Robin Lundstrom, who is, as far as I'm concerned, in the the last general session, uh, was the most outstanding conservative during the session from the House. And uh, I don't have any problem Mm -hmm. in saying that. You did a, a fantastic job. Uh, state representative and we we wanted to get you on today because the governor is is uh, reopening the state uh the stock market today is up almost 300 points right or uh, right now looks like we might get past 24,000 on the dow uh oil is up uh has moved up over 2% that's uh, really good news for the people who work out in the oil patch and uh, and I'm I'm excited because maybe this economy is starting to ignite again. Uh, I saw the letter that the uh, state uh, house sent to to the governor. I've had on uh, uh, Senator Ballinger yesterday. I had on State Representative Bentley yesterday. I wanted to have you on today uh, to talk about uh, those letters and uh, saying to the governor. Hey, look, you've done a fantastic job uh, thus far. We sure would like it, though, if you'd be a little bit more aggressive on reopening things here uh, in the state. Did I did I read that correctly, the way that uh, you guys meant that to come to the governor? Yes, that is precisely correct. Well okay. done. Well done. And now it's time to turn it over to the people of Arkansas and trust them to get the job done. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I, I got to tell you, I'm excited. I've been waiting for this day. And uh, I, I think you tell me if you think I'm wrong. I think our our economy, 
uh, is going to be pretty much a V. I think we have bottomed out, and I think now we're ready to shoot back up again. I think so, too. I just don't want us to micromanage and handcuff our businesses. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think we could. I think we could take it one of two ways. We could end up flattening our own curve economically, or we could have a V and let it shoot up. And that's really up to us. And we also have to remind ourselves, uh, the governor's directives are only towards those businesses that he closed, the restaurants, um, athletic centers. If you were a business, that's, a business that voluntarily closed, you can open. Okay. So there's two different things going on there. Um, if you're a Main Street shop that sold books or sold something, you don't have to stay closed. You're not under any of those directives. Oh, fantastic. That I, I wasn't aware of. A large manufa- or a large manufacturer that, that closed. That you, if you, you don't fall under those directives. All right. Well, just the opposite. I understand the governor had directed and was part of the directive that said to our meat processing plants, you need to stay open. Isn't, isn't that correct? That's correct. That is correct. Um, what's frustrating me is we're micromanaging the restaurants, the dentists, the hospitals, that type of thing. I think the governor's done a phenomenal job with managing the crisis. I think he's in the top ten in the in the whole country for how he managed the crisis of COVID nineteen. Mm-hmm. Based on the numbers that he had, he did a very good job. Um, but opening up the state, I think we're allowing some bureaucrats to micromanage our businesses, and that's where I think we're about to stumble. And I'm hoping that that doesn't happen. I I think I can trust my local restaurants and my dentist. Um, our hospitals, we all know the risk. We're adults. We know to wash our hands. Um, I think this is the part where we have to trust the people of Arkansas to do their job and do it just as well as the governor and his staff managed the crisis. Yeah, look, I, I, I'm smart enough that if I walk in, and, and I'm 67, Robin, just so you know, I'm 67, so I'm, I'm in that high-risk category they keep mentioning all the time now. Well, it's hard. Not quite, but you're, you're getting there, but not yeah, quite. Hard, hard for me to believe that, but I got type 2 diabetes, and so I understand uh, that there might be a little bit of a chance for me if I go out to a restaurant. And if I walk into a restaurant and it's packed, I'll probably walk back out. You know what I'm saying? I I can sure. make those necessary decisions. I don't need some bureaucrat, pardon me, bureaucrat, uh, somewhere making those decisions for me. Correct. You're an adult. You know what yeah. to do. Last time I looked, I was. <laughs> well, you know, give or take. Um, you, and, and you hit on something that's important. Um, if, if you're diabetic and you're over the age of 70, 75, if you're in that senior adult category. If you've smoked, and I'm talking anything, cigarettes, pot, vaping, this is a lung disease. It's, it's going to attack the lungs. It's serious. But we know that. We know that we have the math. Math don't lie. It's not political. Um, we need to be particularly aggressive in a nursing home. We need to be real honest about the smoking issue, cigarettes, pot, vaping, whatever, and focus on those. And if you're immunodeficient, have friends that have cancer, they need to be particularly careful. Yes. They're, they're going to have to stay in longer, and they're going to have to avoid the crowds. They're going to have to wash their hands more. Um, but they know this. It's not a surprise to them. Mm-hmm. The rest of us need to go live our lives 
open our businesses, and and do what needs to get done. I'm not. Uh, I'm not sure. But do, uh, do you own your own business? I do. What do you do? I uh, manage rental property. Okay. Of course, I'm I'm still in business. I'm moving forward. So, and we have so, an event center, and we've been closed down on that. And we'll, right. we'll probably slowly open up as as things go on. But it, for a, a large event center, it's still not going to open for a little while. You, so, you can't have 300 people and do social distancing for six right. feet. Right. I understand it's, that. It seems that there are some restaurants in Little Rock who have said, look, I mean, we cannot switch from the money that we're making with takeout over to opening up our dining room when we can only put one third in there. So we're going right. to not open fully. Uh, what are you hearing up in Springdale? Um, pretty much some of the same things. Um, I would rather it just be, because remember, with restaurants, at 100% capacity, they only make 4% margin. So it's not logical to do a 33%. And I have the rules in front of me. And I want to talk about the hospitals because I think that's even more important, um, how that's impacting hospitals and dentists. Okay. But for restaurants, it's not logical. Um, you're not going to take out booths. You're not going to reconfigure your restaurant. Um, but that's that's a choice for them. And if they don't want to open, they don't have to. But I really – I know the governor's going for perfection, and he wants to do everything absolutely the best he can um, and prevent deaths from happening, but he can't. That's not possible. People get on the road every day and have an accident. It's not his fault. Um, yeah, my husband's letting me know to leave the garage door up. Um, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, the governor can't go for perfection. Um, as much as the bureaucrats and the governor want to have that, that's just not possible. Um, we have to we have to open the state back up and realize that now it's on us as, as our Kansans to do the best possible job and move forward. Is there, is so there we, any talk? I, kn- I know oh. this stuff is hitting nursing homes especially heavily. Is it there, is. Uh, it is. And that's, and that's where we're going to have to be aggressive. About that? We may have to be testing in those nursing homes on a weekly basis. I mean, look at look at how it goes through a nursing home or a prison. We don't need to let people out of prison. We may need to be aggressive in cleaning the prison and testing Thank those prisons, you. and they've done that. Um, but we don't release them. They're in prison for a reason. I mean, that's you, you got to work to get into prison. That's where you need to be. Um, but we do need to make sure we take good care of those folks. We are there, our responsibility of the state of Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to dentists and hospitals, they need to be open. And I, I just I, I cringe when we start to send out micromanaging businesses that know the risk. We've all been paying very close attention to this. We know the risk. We can be responsible. And I know the governor and his staff and the, and the folks are trying to do their best, but I, I think it's it's time to... Let the people. I'm with you. I'm with you totally. State Representative Robin Lundstrom is with us. She'll be with us to the bottom of the hour. I got to get a break in traffic, weather, all of that coming up, and then we'll come back, talk more with Robin Lundstrom here on the Dave Ellswick Show. A break and then more. All right, I think we're back. 
24 minutes after 8. Get about 7 minutes left here uh, before we get Sean Hannity. Our guest is State Representative uh, Robin Lundstrom. And uh, we got somebody's calling in a question. We'll get to that in a second. I want the state representative to talk about hospitals, dentists, and all of that, and about micromanaging hospitals and whatnot, if you would, State Representative Robin Lundstrom. A couple things on the hospitals, two particularly. One is they have to have a test for um, COVID-19 prior to an elective surgery, and that's a 48-hour waiting period. I have constituents right now that have um, been waiting and it's a time bomb ticking. I'll use one particular one. Um, has cardiovascular disease, and it's serious, 98% blockage in a couple of his Woo. heart passages. And he should have had surgery weeks ago. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, they, they schedule it, set it up, still have to have 48 hours. The hospital that he needs to go to doesn't have a COVID-19 patient in the hospital. Um, wow. So this 48-hour waiting period is is just another hurdle it's not necessary and the hospitals can manage that um i get that we're trying to keep it out of the hospitals it's it's incredibly evasive but we need the hospitals have been saying this isn't working do you do it on monday and they schedule the surgery on wednesday if you get bumped you gotta do it. it's just a complete nightmare um so that's having that's having an issue on preparing the whole surgery suites and there's a whole process that goes into this i'm not a hospital administrator but i'm hearing from hospital administrators and i'm hearing from doctors that are very frustrated dentists are lighting us up they are perfectly capable of managing their dental practices and they're ready to go back to work there are folks that that need attention and this is frustrating them as well um one hospital in our area washington regional medical center has done a phenomenal job and they've had to lay off and I've, I've got a text from the administrator, 305 of mm. their employees. And there's no reason for that. People can go back to the hospital. It's the cleanest now than it's ever been. And Washington Regional is one of our premier hospitals in this area. Um, and they need a de- definite need a shout-out. When Katrina and H1N1 hit, there were grants offered by the Bush administration. And those grants were to do a pandemic and crisis plan. A lot of hospitals didn't take them up on that money. Washington Regional did, and they did a pandemic plan, and it was they were ready 11 years ago. Mm. And they wargamed that, had a trailer brought in in the back of the hospital, had ventilators, PPE, everything set up for all their employees, every patient, to cover that hospital. And they've been wow. prepared for 11 years talk about and they they took it seriously and they wargamed it major kudos but right now they can't even they they had to lay off people and that just to me it's just a a, it's a mind-boggling and we need to go back to work all right let me jump in here we got three minutes and uh, heidi has a question read that question heidi yes sir um robert in north little rock he had a question um who is going to protect the restaurant owners if they get sued like if um like if a customer comes in and they get sick due to COVID 19 and they decide to sue the restaurant um what is going to happen there and he was also asking you know is there going to be any um sort of tort reform i love you robert whoever you are um (laughs) because you know what um 
it's it's an issue that we're going to have to address. We may even end up. Um, I'm sure the governor has probably already thought of it. He's he's a pretty smart fellow. Um, I would I would be glad to run the bill. You can't sue someone for getting the flu somewhere. You don't even know where they got it. Um, same with COVID nineteen. You don't know that you got it at that restaurant. You don't know that that employee got it at that restaurant. That employee may have got it from having a hot date the night before. Um, it, but you can still get sued. And the right. only people that will actually win will be the attorneys. Um, defending a lawsuit and winning can still cost you a fortune and can still cost you your business. And all the employees will lose their jobs and the business owner will lose everything. So we're going to have to have some type of protection um, to say that, no, you know, COVID-19 is a virus that is the enemy and it will impact you no matter where you are. We just have to be smart and we need to be realistic. I went and looked up the number of deaths in Arkansas and um, the latest and greatest at CDC, and it was quite interesting. Um, the number of deaths in Arkansas, COVID-19 is not the biggest enemy that we face. Anybody want to yeah. guess? Heidi, Elizabeth? It's like 63, isn't it? Heart disease. Well, heart disease was number one, 8,270. Oh, okay. right. Cancer. I knew the ladies were following. Come on, Dave. Um, I got you. <laughs> cancer was 6,500. Accidents was 1,600. Stroke was 1,600. I'm rounding off just to make it easy. Alzheimer's, 1,400. Right. Suicide, 631. Drug overdoses, 446. I'm, I'm with um, you on all of this. I've been saying this all along, State Representative, and we're out of time. I appreciate you being with me today. You're one of my favorite legislators. We'll get you back on, and we'll talk further that. with you. Thanks so much right. with us. Appreciate you. you. It's, eight, uh, it's 8.30. All right. All right. It's Take 8.30. Care. Time for uh, Sean Hannity, and here he is right now. All right. I'm here, and so is Elizabeth. Uh, Representative Robin Lundstrom had to get on with uh, business up there in uh, northwest Arkansas. My thanks to her for joining us today. A very bright, articulate woman. She does a great job. Uh, she is one of the outstanding legislators uh, in the in the state house, and I look forward to seeing her again in 21. But hopefully, we'll get her into the studio once we get back in the studio and and uh, and do our do our thing. Uh, let me real quickly uh, deal with something because you brought it up to me during the break, break Elizabeth, and it was when we talked about uh, liability. And I just had Robert text me. Uh, asking, he said, whoops, was I supposed to jump in? And I had asked him to be listening in, but I, I want to ask him to call because I want him to talk about that liability because we talked about it yesterday uh, with State Senator, uh, Senator Ballinger and the whole liability issue, and uh, they are of the opinion that the legislature won't have to do anything specific. However, you know, the state representative, Lundstrom, brought up, hey, look, you can win the war, uh, win the battle, but lose the war. In other words, you can win the court case, but you lose your business because it costs so much to defend yourself. Yeah. So uh, I like I'm, point I'm, I'm asking him to call in right now. Sorry, Dave. I like her point that you can't sue because you got the flu. I, you know, it's a similar thing. There's no way somebody's going to be able to prove that, but you still have to go to court and pay if you're the accused, you have to pay those attorney's fees at least 
until you're exonerated and whatever. You, normal people can't afford this sort of thing. You talked about it the other day with Greg Gutfeld as well, with the lengthy list of all the different suits that are supposed to pop up over this coronavirus thing. Right. Yeah, that's uh, that's it's it's already started, and I I understand that uh, the majority leader in the Senate wants uh, them to do something. But here is my key: I don't want to take away the ability for a person's day in court, if you know what I'm saying here. Everybody has the ability for their day in court. However, uh, there's got to be something to, if judges aren't going to throw things out, then there's got to be some way of protecting businesses from stupid judges. Um, On the the liability side, certainly Rob can speak to this better than I can. Yeah, Uh, he's on with us right now. Say hi to him. Hi, Robert. Talk, talk hey, about how are you all doing? Faith. Good. Yeah, bad faith liability, though. You know, bad faith is always going to be there. That's a different issue. Yeah, what happened, Robert? We had uh, State Representative Robin Lundstrom on, uh, and a caller called in and asked about liability for businesses. Now, we talked about this yesterday with you and uh, uh, State uh, Senator Ballinger, and uh, you all felt... Uh, significantly more comfortable than I did about this, saying that uh, the laws that we have on the books now would protect businesses. But State Representative Lundstrom brings up a valid point when she says, yeah, you can win the court case, but still end up losing your business because of the cost. Uh, What do we do about that, or can we do anything about that? Yeah, She's potentially right, and one can always do something to change the balance. But remember, here's a beef that I have with my fellow conservatives. The conservatives tend to be anti-court, anti-litigation. Well, you see, we're too litigious, they say. Um, and You've heard that from like, me. <laughs> yeah, well, of course I have. I hear, I hear it from all my conservative friends. And it's... Let me tell you why I think it's the case. I think because conservatives tend to be more on the side of business owners, in other words, those who are getting sued, versus those who are suing. Uh, But the fact is that we have a system where you can go to court so that you don't grab a baseball bat or an AR-15 to resolve a dispute. Uh, so th- there's a reason we have litigation. It's to avoid violent interactions. And it is true that some litigation results in excessive expenses for the defendant who ultimately wins. And there are ways perhaps to address that better in the future. But it's also true that courts routinely, indeed I dare say excessively, dismiss cases very early on in the process. And so the costs are not significant overall in that context. Now, in this situation, should we change somehow the balance a little bit? Because here's the thing. Right now, if under existing law, if you were to sue a restaurant and say, I caught this flu, like the COVID flu, or some other flu from the restaurant, and they maintained good hygiene, They should win. They would win. So 
where where's the problem? The problem is if somehow courts started saying to restaurants, sure, you let in people, but you weren't you didn't have a guy standing there with a temperature gauge and a swab uh, and a doctor evaluating each patient. In other words, changing the balance that we would normally expect. I wouldn't I wouldn't expect to see that, but that would be somehow uh, an alteration of existing law. Under existing law, uh, restaurants are not responsible. Now, for that, what happens if you had a restaurant that said, hey, Come on in. We're going to fill the capacity. We're going to keep the tables just as tight as they were, even in the beginning. And all bets are off. And someone caught the COVID. And someone uh, who caught it sued the restaurant. Maybe there's potential liability there. Maybe the court would say, you know what? You should have separated the the tables. You didn't need to have 100% capacity. Uh, So what is reasonable today may very well be different than what was reasonable before the COVID. And I can see that. So I do think restaurants should take some additional precautions. Are the restaurant workers wearing masks as they prepare your food? Yeah, I think that's probably a good idea these days. Are they wearing gloves? I think that's always a good idea because, as you know, I'm a germaphobe. So certainly these days I (laughs) I would be pleased to see them wearing gloves. So we have to determine what is reasonable, and, and they should take extra precautions. You could always change the law. The legislature could always change the law and say restaurants will not be liable <clears throat> for people catching COVID regardless of whatever they do. I don't think that's a good idea. I think they need to take some reasonable precautions, but one could write a law that changes that balance. I wouldn't recommend it. All right. All right, so there that we had this discussion yesterday and and uh I'm not I'm not totally sold on it, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. It's better than I think uh people who say uh just let it go the way it is. See, I I'm of the opinion that judges should look at the somebody comes in and says I get covid at this restaurant and the person followed the the uh the the rules that are out there and whatever and number one how do you prove you got it while you were at that restaurant i just think judges should say ah doesn't have any merit and move on but there's i think they would though just to be clear dave based on the description that you just gave overwhelmingly that case would be dismissed and the state judges in arkansas are even quicker to dismiss cases than across the country on average so I do not think the cases you described would result not only in liability. I don't think that would happen. I don't think the case would go on very long at all. Well, here's the only caveat I would like to put on that. Whenever somebody thinks that they can hit the lotto by getting somebody to pay them money uh, because right. they don't want to go to court or whatever, uh, if they do go to court, that if the, the plaintiff loses, they got to pay all of the uh, cost associated with the trial. Right. right, and that's that's the English system as opposed to the American system, and that is that is another perfectly reasonable system. So you're not wrong, indeed, as spoken like a true lawyer. In other words, that's a perfectly fair uh, adjustment that one could make. I don't uh, dispute that one. I'm not jumping to do that only because I'm, as a lawyer, kind of... Uh, stuck in my ways of how the system exists right now, but that is a perfectly reasonable argument, adjustment that one could make uh, going forward, yes. Okay, let me jump in and and 
I'm just wanted to push this over to uh, to Elizabeth because she's in on this. Uh, yes. Bottom bottom line, Elizabeth, uh, if we could get something like that, which would say the plaintiff uh, would have to pay for court costs if they lost on a on a jury on on a jury trial or on a you know a judge trial, or whatever, on something like this, would would that make you um, more? Uh, feel safer for the businesses out there? That would be an automatic way to go. I've often wished that we had that automatically. Again, though, some of the processes last long enough that people literally just can't hang on until that point that they win or lose. I do think one of the bottom line answers, and it's sort of a pipe dream, is to say what Mary Bentley said yesterday, treat each other kindly. This thing has overtaken everybody. What if everybody sues everybody? We would have an overwhelmed judicial system rather than an overwhelmed hospital system. Come on. we got to think this thing through. we got to be fair to each other. Think about everybody else as well as yourself when you go to the store, when you think about that business owner and you think about, oh, I should sue them. I got sick. How can you prove that? Let's be fair to each other. Well, and I agree with that, okay? Problem is, there's people who go to court, and fairness is the last thing on their mind. With that in Absolutely. mind. Absolutely. <laughs> China Robert, taking advantage of America. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Robert, stick around. We got I'm more going. to talk about. Let you be part of the show here. 13 minutes till 9, a break, and more coming your way. We got traffic, we got weather, and it's right now on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right. Last segment of the Dave Ellswick Show today. Uh, check my Facebook page here in the next uh, 15 minutes. Uh, State Representative Robin Lundstrom uh, forwarded me a picture of uh, a, 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 a sign in a business. doesn't have the business, and, and we don't need to know that. All it says is absolutely no gloves allowed inside store management, and then underneath of it, there's an article about why it's better that you just wash your hands than if you wear gloves. So take a look at that uh, on the Dave Ellswick Show uh, uh, Facebook page. You can go to facebook.com uh, slash Dave Ellswick Show, and uh, you'll see it. We're going to post it, Elizabeth. Did you get it, Elizabeth? I just sent it to you. I'm working on it. Okay, Dave, she's pulling honey, out. Let me make a comment on that, if I go may. Ahead. It reminds yeah. me of before the whole COVID thing. Sometimes I would go into a restaurant and the workers were wearing gloves, and then they would come forward, work the register, take cash, and go back and work on the food without ever yeah. changing the gloves. Yeah, no, then, no, 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 no. Yeah, and, <laughs> and my comment to them was, the gloves are not to keep your hands from smelling. The gloves are to keep my food from being contaminated. So change That's your darn good. gloves, you fool. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why in the rules for reopening for restaurants, it says that they have to change their gloves if they're serving uh, patrons, that they have to take off their gloves between every table that they service. That's the reason for that. And part of the problem, Dave, is some people don't have common sense. They don't put it together in their head. And it's a little frustrating. And I know this from back when I was taking care of my mother, as you know, who had cancer. And, of course, I tried to keep a germ-reduced or germ-free environment. And I would see people just making all sorts of goofy mistakes. 
And I don't think they were being intentionally negligent. One can't be intentionally negligent, but intentionally foolish. But they were being foolish nonetheless. So uh, my recommendation to everybody is, is slow down. Think about what you're doing. Think about good hygiene. Change your gloves. Wash your hands. If you're not sure, do it again. Yeah, yeah. You know what I do in my pocket? I have a little bottle of Germex that Uh I carry around with me, and I use that constantly. Uh Anytime I happen to put my hands down by my pockets and I feel it, Uh I pull it out, squirt a little bit in, and do my hands, you know, and uh, hope that that, uh, that helps. It can't hurt, so I try to help. By the way, Elizabeth, you were saying during the break that a lot of people are, you know, doggone it, it's my right, I shouldn't have to wear a mask or whatever. Let, let, me, let me mention this to everybody. Look, it's your right if you don't want to wear a mask, but it's the owners of the, of the business's right to tell you he wants you to wear a mask, just like he says, no mm-hmm. shirt, no uh, no shoes, no shirt, no service. He can put no shirt, no shoes, no mask, no service. Just keep and that in mind. Ride. And then they say, I will not shop there. I will never yeah, well, shop there. Well, that's fine. And, that's, and that is, that <laughs> is your right. That's your that's right. right. And, that's, and I, that's what I always say, vote with your wallet. That's what I always that's say. Correct. You can vote with your wallet. Here's what... I got a little bit irritated with yesterday. Uh, the governor came out and said churches can start doing corporal worship again, but they should keep social distancing. Unless you're part of the worship team, you should be wearing a mask. And this person says, I will not go to church and wear a mask. I refuse to wear a mask. I and I thought, that. you know, and I here's what I thought. Fine, don't wear a mask. Don't go to church. Don't go to that's, church. <laughs> that's what it comes down to. All right? And the, and the these church. people are trying to impose their preferences on others indirectly. This is the inherent tension with the notion of rights, in fact, and it's a complicated topic. But that is, well, I don't want to wear a mask, but that doesn't only affect you. It affects the next guy sitting next to you who you're coughing on or breathing on or whatever the case may be. So we are intertwined in this. So the notion of rights don't stop at your hand, arm's length. That's the, that's the difficulty. A buddy of mine wrote me the other day, and he said, oh, there's some, some of the, well, they're crazies, uh, marching around with swastikas, right, the Nazi emblem, yeah. uh, I think in Michigan, uh, in, under their First Amendment rights. And let me tell you, Dave, they do have their First Amendment right to do that. You know they do. I know that's they right. do. I don't, I don't particularly like it, but I'm not going to stop them. But when it comes to the germs, there's a difference. You can infect me. So, uh, you know, how do you draw that line is not an easy question to answer. That's right. And and typically we always say your rights end at the end of my nose. But with, right. it, with, with germs, sometimes your rights as you interpret them can move germs beyond the tip of my nose and uh, into my body. And that's something yeah, that... Quite literally. You know, Right, you that's know, the point. They quite literally come out of the other guy's mouth, and they go through your nose into your lungs, and now you're infected. You know, the the place that you get infected more than in your nose now with this coronavirus is your eyes. I've Everybody understands that. that, right? Yeah, I've it's, heard it's that. A, it enters in through your eyes, but uh, mucous membranes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope. Yeah. I hope. Uh, here's what I hope. I hadn't seen it yet. I personally want somebody to make masks that have 
uh, a Christian or a Jewish overtone, or I guess even a, a Muslim overtone. But the bottom line, but the bottom line is, I'd like to walk into church and uh, have a mask on, and and maybe it's got. Uh, the Star of David entwined with a cross. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Uh, that That is what I'd like. Instead, I'm waiting for my mask to come, and I'm I'm going to think it's going to be kind of funny Sunday if I go to church and I put the mask that I got coming on, and I pull it up, and it's the Joker smile. It better not be the Joker. <laughs> not the church, I'm just Dave. saying. Uh, well, it's the only mask I got. I'm just saying. I'd have that ugly <laughs> smile uh, up there, back there, sitting in about the f- the fifth row from the back, where I typically sit and, and feel comfortable. But yeah, it's it's going to be great that churches can get back together this weekend. I don't know how many are. I haven't heard from New Life Church. That's the church I belong to. I haven't heard from Rick Bazet. I sent him a text asking uh, if we're going to be open for business, so to speak, or if they're going to continue. Uh, doing uh, the uh, the YouTube uh, video, they may do the YouTube video consistently still, and then uh, have uh, worship service as well. I don't know how it's going to work. I'll try to get him on and let him talk about that this week. And uh, if you'll send me information to Dave at uh, uh, SalemLR.com, tell me what your church is going to do, and I'll let everybody. I'll try to let everybody know. I'll put it all together and I'll I'll read them on air. How's that? So that's the way to do it. All right, we're out of time. It went fast today. It always does. Robert, thank you for coming on the air. Thank you, my friend. God bless. I needed you on today to go over that uh, the whole liability thing again. Elizabeth, a great show as usual. I love it. Thank you so much for being with you. And let me let, let you guys, I, I sent this to Elizabeth, uh, Robert. I don't know if you've seen it or not, but... Uh, the Israelis think that they may have found a cure for COVID nineteen. That would be great, obviously. A, not not a vi- not not a, a vaccine, a cure. A cure, okay. A I cure. wonder if the Iranians will accept it. <laughs> I thought that myself. I said, I wonder if people who hate Israel will take it. Uh, that's a, that's okay. a great question, and it's for another time. Here on the Dave Ellswick Show right now, though, we got to get to the news. Let's do that. I'll see everybody tomorrow starting at 6 a.m. Don't forget, uh, we'll have Congressman Hill on. We'll have Joe and Duck on. And I'm sure we'll have some other guests on that I haven't even got even thought about yet here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Have a great day. Talk to you tomorrow, 6 a.m.